play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, long-distance hiker, speaker, and author Jennifer Farr Davis. Jennifer is, there's no other way to put this, Jennifer is a complete badass. She has hiked over 14,000 miles on six continents. In 2011, she set the unofficial record for the fastest through-hike of the Appalachian Trail, hiking the 2,200 miles from Georgia to Maine in 46 days, 11 hours, and 20 minutes. Now, to put that in perspective, it takes most people five to six months to finish. She was hiking an average of 47 miles a day. Jennifer has a new book out. It's called The Pursuit of Endurance, and I'm reading it right now, and it's inspiring the crap out of me, and I'm having like a midlife crisis or something because as I'm reading it, I'm like, got to quit my job, got to sell all my stuff, just got to be out in the woods, man. Like that's, that's what's happening to me right now. And I'm super excited about this episode because it's all about one of my favorite things, eating outside. The foods we eat while we're on a hike, while we're car camping and backpacking, and chefy rock climbing foods with James Beard award-winning Seattle chef Maria Hines. Last time when I was out at Indian Creek, um, we made homemade cavatelli in the desert, so that was a lot of fun. How did you roll it out? With an algae bottle on a Tupperware bin from my my gear bin and. Mm-hmm little rustic and might take a little bit more time, but well worth it. Then we'll chat backpacking and car camping recipes and cooking gear with Emily Nielsen. She's one of the authors of the website and cookbook, Dirty Gourmet. But first, my conversation with Jennifer Farr Davis. You've hiked over 14,000 miles on six continents. How did you get into hiking slash long distance walking? Well, I didn't grow up hiking or backpacking, um, but when I graduated college, a big part of me wanted to spend time outdoors. I didn't know anything about nature. I couldn't tell you the difference between a maple tree and an oak tree. And the fact that we live in this culture, which takes us from a four-wall house to a car to a cubicle and then back again, um, for a lot of people, that doesn't feel right. And I think since the beginning of time, you know, people have been movers and and we've spent most of the time outside and there's still a yearning for that. I think there's still an inner void or or need for most people to use their bodies and and be in the sunlight. And so I think it was a very primal urge that led me to the Appalachian Trail. But when I found it, when I hiked the full trail at 21 and it took five months, um, I knew I had connected with something really deep and and really powerful. And, you know, at the time, I didn't think I'd make a career out of it. I didn't think I'd be able to keep doing it to the extent that I have, but I knew I had found something really critical (laughs) to to who I am. So that's when it started. It's been about 15 years now. Like I mentioned earlier, Jennifer hiked the nearly 2,200-mile Appalachian Trail in just 46 days, 11 hours, and 20 minutes. That was back in 2011, and she managed to hold on to that record for four years. How many hours a night you were sleeping? And then most importantly, um, what were you eating and how often were you eating? 
Yeah. So um, when people think that it was like this run or it was fast, it wasn't. It was a grind. It was a crawl. Um, I was hiking really 16 to 18 hours a day and then sleeping five to six hours at night. I was doing it just on repeat every day. And and even my my food intake was very consistent. Um, it was very calculaic. Like I would just set my wristwatch alarm and every hour and a half I would eat. I would eat something. And I didn't do a lot of energy products. I don't really like the goos or the blocks. Um, but I did unfortunately have to consume, I think, a million energy bars because they are, you know, high calorie and convenient and easy to carry. So I really don't eat bars unless I'm on the trail, but I had a ton that summer. It's different than a traditional backpacking trip because instead of, you know, carrying four days worth of food and then going and getting a resupply, my husband was meeting me at road crossings. So he would bring me fruit smoothies, protein shakes. Um, he always had hard-boiled eggs. Uh, he would bring Greek yogurt and a cooler, sandwiches. And then also, you know, McDonald's or pizza. One time he brought me a whole pie, which I ate all at once. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was... It was a process of trying to get down, you know, six, seven, eight thousand calories a day. And I was still still losing weight. What would you request? And what were the foods that you were craving the most when you were on that hike? Um, I asked my husband to bring me foods that I did not have to chew. Um, <laughs> I felt like I was working so hard already hiking. The last thing I wanted to do was like sit and chew. And you had to eat so much. It was like you had to eat so much all day. So you didn't want <laughs> just two all day. So I would have been a great geriatric patient. I just wanted everything like blended and mushy and, and soft. And um, sadly, even though it sounds like a total dream to eat 8,000 calories, eat whatever you want, eat a full pie and still lose weight, eating was part of the the job. Um, there, it wasn't much pleasure eating. And I think on a normal backpacking trip, that's totally different. When you're burning like four to 5,000 calories a day, there's this sweet spot of like, yes, I'm slathering Nutella on everything I eat. And yes, I love all these treats I don't normally get. But when you're up there and you've got to hit the numbers of like seven, 8,000 calories a day, it's again, it's just a lot of chewing. Yeah. I also read that, um, like you said, you had McDonald's and pizza and that it took you several years after that to realize that that didn't make you feel very good when you were hiking, that you kind of turned to eating as medicine. Well, yes, that is very true. I, I will say um, that lesson is really one that I internalized on my first through hike where like I was poor, I was out of college and I pretty much had the mindset of like little Debbie's are cheap and high calorie. So I'll eat a lot of those. Um, and I felt horrible at the end of the trail. So my hiking nutrition is much better, but you know, on a record and needing that type of, of caloric intake, I, I don't feel like the junk food I had, especially because it was balanced and outweighed by healthier, high quality foods. I don't feel like it weighed me down. I feel like my body was a furnace. I mean, I could eat a calzone, like a huge calzone. And 30 minutes later, I wasn't thinking, I feel so heavy because of the cheese. I was thinking, I want another calzone. It was interesting talking to um, a physiologist and I asked him about diet because people preach it out there with endurance feats. And his take was that it's completely individualized and that everyone has different 
you know, probiotics in their gut, everyone has different heritage and what we all process is going to be different on a personal level. So what works for one person might not work for another person. And he also said the body can perform very well off limited nutrients for, for a season of time as well. So fascinating stuff. And I'm just so impressed of hiking you've done when you're pregnant and when you're breastfeeding. Um, I read that you did a 550-mile hike in Spain, and then uh, was it just a 50-mile right after? Just a 50-mile after you that one in Iceland. And you were six and seven months pregnant at the time. And then last year, you were breastfeeding when you were doing the Mountains to Sea Trail. How does that work for your body? Is, are you just so used to hiking that it's not a big strain for you? And, and how do you adjust your eating when you're pregnant or breastfeeding on the trail? You know, it's funny, hiking has been so important to me during, you know, my journey through childbearing and nursing my babies, because it's a really hard time. (laughs) I mean, I think for most women, it's difficult. For me, it was super challenging. I struggled a lot with um, prenatal depression in both of my pregnancies. and, And that was I think heightened because it seemed like everything was taken away. Like you can't run, you can't drink, you can't sit in hot tubs. You can't do this. You can't fly after this many months. You can't eat a turkey sandwich if it's deli meat. I was so glad that hiking was never taken away from me and it was something I could do. And obviously we were in close communication with my doctor throughout the process, but she was extremely encouraging, especially because the foundation I had laid over the past decade, I wasn't doing something that would shock my body. It wasn't new. I was very used to walking and backpacking. And so, yeah, I did. um, I hiked from the Mediterranean Ocean through the Pyrenees to the Atlantic in my second trimester with my daughter. And then um, I was in my third trimester. We were flying home and we did this 50-mile trail in Iceland. And it was incredible and very, very remote. But, you know, my body handled it beautifully. And then... um, the Mount Sissi Trail, it was it was hard last fall because I started and my son was 10 months old and I was still nursing. And so my husband, whereas doing the record, he would like come and bring me food. Doing the Mount Sissi Trail, he would come and just hand me the baby who was like crying <laughs> his head off. And I would just sit on the trail after feeling like tired and depleted. And then the, the baby would like suck everything else out of me. Um, literally. Was, literally, that was our hike. Um, but again, like, one thing we say about the trails is that they meet you at every phase of life and the ability that you can do it when you're young, when you're old, when you're pregnant, when you're nursing, like it's, it is such a gift. And I'm so glad I've had that outlet because it's helped me physically and also so much mentally and emotionally. So next time you're feeling too tired to go to the gym, think about Jennifer Far Davis hiking 550 miles while six months pregnant. This woman is insane and I'm in awe of her and I think she's the best. And please don't let being a lady stand in your way if you want to take on a big outdoor challenge. One of the things Jennifer talks about in her book is the fact that when it comes to long-distance hiking, men don't have any advantage over women like they do in other sports. In fact, women actually often perform better. Guys at the end are emaciated. Um, They need more food. They typically need more hydration. Women are built to carry the weight of pregnancy so we can, you know, carry a pack pretty efficiently. Like I just started to think there's a lot of advantages out here to being a woman and it's not at all about speed or strength. And then I went back and I tried for the overall record and it was awesome. And it just totally baffled people because here I was a female and a hiker who had never won an ultra race in my life. And all of a sudden I beat these guys who 
were renowned runners, renowned athletes. And what started to come of that since then, the science and also other examples who of women who have gone out and set these records and beat the guys is that when it comes to ultra endurance, there is no gender gap. So at 100 miles, there's still probably a difference. 500, there's still probably a difference. But when you're looking at 2,000 plus miles, there's really no difference between the performance of men and women. And if anything, based off the psychologists and physiologists I've, I've spoken with, they think that women might actually have an advantage. There were a lot of things where I thought, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. There's no other females doing it. And now in my mind, I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going I'm to set forth that vision. And even if I've, I fail, I'm going to get a whole lot closer than I would have otherwise, or I would have not trying. So I think it's really important for women to take those risks, believe in themselves and, and put themselves out there. We are going to take a break, but when we come back, we will learn Jennifer's last meal and the history of Gorp, the classic trail mix with the M&Ms and the peanuts and the raisins. Happy trails. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous off the beaten path vacation spots with small town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Palsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. If you like listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org or find a link in the show notes. When she was hiking 47 miles a day, Jennifer Farr Davis had to eat about 8,000 calories to keep moving. But for her last meal, she just wants to eat a normal amount of food. And she'd like it in takeout form. Thank you very much. I changed my mind on this some because I think about food all the time. But my, my standard and my go-to and what I'm really feeling today is I would eat Thai red curry. Like I would just eat it up. And my last meal, every meal, I really love red curry. So that's what I'm going with. And what kind of protein do you like in it? Uh, I could do any veggies. I love a lot of veggies in it. And then chicken. I'm going to put a protein. So what is your connection to red curry, red Thai curry? 
Oh, wow. It's sweet. It's spicy, just like me. It's, <laughs> it's warm. <laughs> you still don't have to chew it that much. Um, you don't have to cook it. Every time I try to cook it, it doesn't, it doesn't turn out. So it's to go, which I love to go that, you know, <laughs> cooking's not my thing. <laughs> so, um, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of pros to Thai red curry. So last night, it's 930, and I'm at the grocery store, and I'm just picking out some essentials for the week. And I had spent the last couple of days working on this episode, so I reached down to pick up a can of coconut milk when I see a row of Thai curry. And I didn't want to buy Thai curry. I wasn't there to buy Thai curry, but this demon took over my body, and against my will, my hand is like reaching out to grab this tub of red curry, and do I even want to buy this? I used to buy curry paste all the time when I was in my 20s, but Seattle has so many Thai restaurants that I kind of just burn out on it. I read a 2014 Seattle Times article that says, in Seattle, we have 126 Thai restaurants, which is double the number that they have in Washington, D.C., triple that of Denver, and four times as many as Boston. But last night, the devil made me do it. I had to have that little plastic tub of red curry paste, and it's all Jennifer Farr Davis's fault. If you live near a Thai restaurant or if a demon forced you to buy a tub of red curry paste, a comforting bowl of warm curry can be yours in 15 minutes flat. It's super easy to make. But making a curry from scratch is far more complex. So first of all, you want to use a mortar and pestle to grind a wet mixture. And they say that the mortar and pestle draws out the natural oils and the spices and gives the curry a more intense flavor. And the red curry itself is made up of red Thai chili peppers, There's garlic, shallots, shrimp paste, salt, kaffir lime leaves, coriander root, coriander seeds, cumin seeds, lemongrass. There's there's more. I just I do. I need to keep reading this list. I'm just there's more than that. Uh, And then this curry paste is simmered with coconut milk, fish sauce, palm sugar, some kaffir lime leaves and then whatever protein and veggies that you like. And the red curry tends to be soupier, and this is served with steamed rice. And in case you were wondering what I'm going to do with my impulse buy, I am making a clean out the fridge, sweet potato and tofu red curry with kale, which sounds like a weird kind of hipster version of Thai food. Sorry, we all just have to buy kale. It's the law. So if you're not doing like a big major hike and you're not having to consume all of those calories in one day and you're just doing like a day hike, maybe with your husband or your kids, what is a favorite trail snack? Well, I, um, that's a great question. I still to this day love trail mix. Like there have been so many foods that are like out the window, you know, like, ugh, energy bars, blah, you know, no more pop tarts, no more peanut butter. I get really tired of, but, um, we have a lot of fun at my house, like making our own trail mixes. And I think maybe that's one reason I still like it is that it can always change. So we throw together different nuts and dried fruits and candies and um, put it in a bag and shake it up. And my daughter is the worst. She's five and she like strip mines out all the like chocolates or candies. And so we have to have <laughs> rules on the trail about like how to eat the trail mix. Um, but it's still, it's just so easy and accessible and tastes so good and has that mix of, of salty and sweet and protein and carbs. So I'm going to go with trail mix. I think trail mix is the most classic hiking snack. And the most classic of all is GORP, G-O-R-P. In my experience, that's always been a mix of peanuts, raisins, M&Ms, and sometimes an errant cashew or almond. But there is some speculation on the history and the etymology of GORP. 
So some say that it's an acronym for good old raisins and peanuts, which is like the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. I had never heard that before. Others say it stands for granola, oats, raisins, and peanuts. The Oxford English Dictionary cites a 1913 reference to the word gorp, labeling it a verb that means to eat greedily. So as I say this next part, imagine that the Beach Boys are playing in the background. Legend has it that Gorp was invented in 1968 when two California surfers mixed together some raisins and peanuts for a quick energy snack. But in the 1958 novel The Dharma Bums by Jack Kerouac, he mentions Gorp, so that 1968 story is kind of debunked. But it goes back even further. The combination of nuts, raisins, and chocolate as a trail snack dates back to at least the 1910s when outdoorsman Horace Kephart recommended it in his popular camping guide. And now we will cross an ocean to talk about trail mix. So if you remember from my Greta Gerwig episode, we were talking about Funfetti cake, and I shared that the Kiwis in New Zealand refer to sprinkles as hundreds and thousands. And if you were tickled by that, like I am, you will be extra tickled to know that the Kiwis call trail mix scroggin, or schmogel. No. They're so cute. Uh, and some say that scroggin is an acronym for, get ready, sultanas, carob, raisins, orange peel, grains, glucose, imagination, and nuts. I think that that's a made-up thing. Completely. <laughs> Admittedly, I have never been a huge gore person, and trail mix is okay, although they're getting more interesting now. Uh, but when I first started hiking, I would bring a sandwich maybe an apple, maybe a bag of pretzels. Pretty boring. But I started to notice what other people were eating on the trail and had a breakthrough, an epiphany. You can basically bring whatever you want when you're hiking if you're not backpacking and you don't have to worry about weight. Uh, I've seen people with Tupperwares full of salad and they bring a fork on the trail. And, And why not? Like a cold noodle salad would be so good on a hike. I've seen people with thermoses of chili and soup. And Aaron Mason... As a Burning Man attendee, Uh you can agree with this. Pickles taste so good when it's hot. They're super juicy and crunchy and tangy and acidic. Yeah, it's that acid and that salt that your body is just hungering for. And that helps you retain your water, too. So it's good for you uh, all around. Pickle, a magical doctor-recommended food. Uh, I once brought a leftover corn on the cob on a hike. And I was like, this is so weird. And that was so good too, because it's juicy and super delicious. And it doesn't matter where the corn kernels fall. Uh, And once a friend brought baba ganoush with pita and olives and cucumber slices, and that was one of my favorite trail hikes. What do you like to eat on the trail? I like Mediterranean stuff, like a can of stuffed grape leaves, you know, right? Like that stuff's awesome. I do that a lot too, because not Target, Trader Joe's now carries little cans of the stuffed grape leaves and it's easy to just throw in your pack. Uh, My favorite trail snack though that I discovered when I lived in Japan are onigiri, which are the Japanese rice balls, which you can stuff with a chunk of salmon or do what I do. I just mix some furikake, which is a Japanese rice seasoning. It's like bits of nori and sesame seeds and dehydrated salmon and shiso leaf. So you just mix that into the rice and you form it into these little triangles and then you wrap it in crisp nori. So you have the crispy outside and the soft inside and I want to go hiking. Uh, There's actually a recipe for onigiri in the new book, Dirty Gourmet, Food for Your Outdoor Adventures by Amy Trudeau, Mai Yan Kwan, and Emily Nielsen. And uh, that was my transition because I interviewed Emily for this episode, and she says she didn't always eat so well on the trail, especially while backpacking. Yeah, your standard instant mashed potatoes, 
instant oatmeal, all the things that people think of as camp food. Yeah, your lunch consists of bars and goose, and you're eating the same thing every single day. And so we started thinking about food the opposite way. We thought, what do we like to eat at home, and how can we campify that? How can we simplify it, add some non-perishable ingredients to replace perishable ones, try to use less ingredients and less technique all together um, so that it's easier to come together. The Dirty Gourmet book is divided into three sections. You have recipes for day hikes, for car camping, and for backcountry cooking. Talk about some of your favorite recipes for backcountry long-distance hiking. I really love salt and intense flavor in the backcountry, especially when I've been out there for a really long time. So I tend to go towards spicy sort of flavors. One of my favorite recipes is uh, Penang curry, and it's like a red curry mixed with peanut. We definitely take into account that I'm exhausted at the end of a really long day backpacking, and so I want something delicious and comforting, but I also want it to be easy. And so something that's quick to come together like that is perfect, but then the nice thing about it is it also takes a lot of different types of toppings, and I think the textural element is something that's always missing from a backcountry meal that's you know in a bag. And so crunchy peanuts, um, a squeeze of bright, fresh lime. So those textural elements on there is, is one of my favorite things to add. We also like a few stews. There's a lentil vegetable stew with dumplings that are just a drop biscuit, basically, that falls into the stew and adds that wonderful texture. So with the curry, what are you bringing to prepare that to keep it light? Mm-hmm. So um, one kind of secret weapon ingredient to always have in your backcountry kit is parboiled rice and they come in the little boil in a bag bags. So even if you have a very basic stove that's really just meant for boiling water, that rice can be easily boiled in the bag and not stick to the bottom very, very easily. So parboiled rice, um, we use a red curry paste that's pre-made and then peanut butter powder, I prefer. This is a controversial subject. My two partners are very against peanut butter powder. They don't think it's as good as regular peanut butter. And now peanut butter comes in the individual packets, so you could do regular if you want, but it's a little lighter if you go with the powder. And then the textural elements, the peanuts, the avocado, that's kind of a secret weapon. I always have an avocado that's a little underripe and a lime with me because those things just add so much freshness, but they can also act as a snack throughout the day before dinner. And are you putting a protein and or vegetables into the curry? Yes, so you can buy all sorts of dehydrated vegetables individually, um, or you can dehydrate them yourself. Even if you don't have a dehydrator, a vegetable is very easy to dehydrate in the oven. So in um, our recipe, we use bell peppers and green beans. Emily says there are all kinds of dehydrated ingredients out there to keep in your little backpacking pantry. So there's dehydrated bean powder that's used for making refried beans. You can make burritos. There's tomato powder and peanut butter powder, which is really easy to get nowadays in even regular grocery stores. And you can use that to make peanut sauces for Thai food. Super lightweight stuff that goes a long way flavor-wise. And of course, backpacking is all about keeping things light. But Emily is still a big fan of having cocktails and appetizers on the trail after a long day of hiking. Make a cocktail just a fancy shot. I have a lovely little um, recipe that's just gin and jam. Hard liquor is much lighter weight, less focused on staying cold than beer or wine. So I recommend just going for it with the hard liquor. But gin and jam is great because you can just bring a little individual jam packet 
and squeeze it in there with that lime that you've already got in your pack. And that's a perfectly balanced and delicious little sip. And what kind of appetizer would you serve with that? Ooh, appetizers are fun. For instance, we have a um, rice ball recipe for lunch. And if you put that in a pan when you get to camp and just fry up the outside of it, then it becomes one of those crispy rice balls. And that's a wonderful choice, too. Just listening to Emily talk is making me very excited to go hiking and camping. And I want to try some of these recipes from Dirty Gourmet. But like Emily says, it is best to try out some of these recipes at home first, using your little stove and your equipment that you have so you can see if it turns out well. And if it does turn out, it's going to taste even better when you're in the woods. All right, we're going to take a little break, but when we come back, James Beard Award-winning chef Maria Hines scares the crap out of me by telling me about her rock climbing adventures, and she shares some of her fancy-schmancy snacks that she eats out in the wild. James Beard Award-winning chef Maria Hines owns Agridolce and Tilth, two certified organic restaurants in Seattle. The New York Times has named Tilth one of the top 10 best restaurants in America, and Maria competed and won on her episode of the Food Network's Iron Chef America. And when I was asking around and going on social media looking for chefs who are really outdoorsy, everybody told me to interview Maria Hines, who is a pretty serious rock climber. Any style of climbing? Everything from bouldering to big wall climbing to sport climbing to drag climbing. Uh, Lots of hiking. What kind of things do you make or buy to eat when you're hiking or rock climbing? It will depend on the length of the activity and the exertion level. When I go for a trail run through the enchantments, you know, that's a good 18-mile day with lots of elevation. So I'll try and eat as much as I can beforehand and basically carb up. And then while I'm on the trail, I will have homemade bars that I make. So I need something that is uh, easy to digest and I can take small bites while I'm moving. So in that particular case, um, something with uh, a lot of dates or a lot of dried fruits, um, I'll put some whey powder in there so I can get the protein that I need. And then um, for some of the slow burning carbohydrate energy, um, I'll use oats. If you're on a day hike, what might you bring? If I'm on a day hike, then I'm not as worried about weight. Make either, you know, a a homemade granola. Um, Boiled eggs are really nice to take. I'll uh, boil eggs beforehand and uh, marinate them. I'll take those on the trail. In those instances, I try and uh, bring as much real food as I possibly can. What do you marinate your eggs in? Just an assortment of spices. I mean, my kind of my go-to is like a little za'atar spice. It's really quick and easy to to put together, um, and that way you don't need to, you know, salt and pepper them because they're they're just ready to go. How do you do that? So is it olive oil mixed with the spice? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's uh, olive oil and you know sumac and sesame mm-hmm. seed and like stuff that you'd usually find in a traditional za'atar mm-hmm. spice seasoning. In the Middle East, you'll find a lot of you know that kind of Zatar mix, especially in Lebanon and places like that. I'm going to try that because I get so bored of the hard-boiled eggs, and that sounds so good. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're not having processed food. You're not having things that have too much sugar. Because I think that's where we go wrong a lot of times when we're out in these places is we buy a bunch of bars. And if you look at it, there's so much sugar in it. And there's like three different kinds of sugar in it. I'm 45 now, so you know I'm very focused on doing well when I'm in these environments, but I am now equally as focused on what do I eat and how do we recover after you know having a big day in the mountains. Before we wrap it up, I wanted to ask Jennifer about one of the most magical things that I've heard about on both the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail, something called trail angels. Trail angels are folks who do kind things for hikers. They usually give them food. They could give them rides into town or back. But I think the thing I get really excited about from a trail angel are food items or products that are really hard to carry on the trail. So one thing hikers don't carry a lot of is like fresh produce because it's heavy, it bruises easily, it doesn't have a lot of calories. So to come to a road crossing and have a stranger there, which again, this is so countercultural because we grow up saying, don't take food from strangers. And then you're a hiker and you're like, hello, stranger, <laughs> I will eat your food. <laughs> um so like, yeah, fresh cut fruit, that is like a treat. Um, I've been in, in instances where people have um, packed up coolers full of ice cream for hikers. Um, and that's pretty awesome. Or fresh baked goods like brownies. Those are nice because you don't get fresh baked items on the trail. Um, cold beer, I will say cold beer definitely hits the spot when you're hiking and you're usually not carrying it. So yeah, those are some of the best I guess. Um, and what, what we would call it is trail magic. So trail angels are the purveyors, but trail magic is the food or the gifts you receive. And that was Jennifer Farr Davis's last meal. Pick up her new book, The Pursuit of Endurance, which is a really great mix of history and science and stories from her life and from other long distance hikers past and present. You can find this book along with a handful of her other books at jenniferfardavis.com. And she also owns the Blue Ridge Hiking Company in Asheville, North Carolina. So if you want to go on an adventure and you want Jennifer Far Davis to plan it, check them out online. Thanks so much to Emily Nielsen. You can pick up her book, Dirty Gourmet, just in time for summer hiking and camping season. Thanks to Maria Hines, chef owner of Tilth and Agridolce Restaurants in Seattle. This episode was produced by Aaron Mason and me, and theme music is by Prom Queen, who, I have to give a little plug here, wrote the music for a brand new show at the Can Can in Seattle. This is my favorite place to see burlesque and cabaret. The new show is called Femme Fatale. Tickets just went on sale at thecancan.com. If you like what you hear, tell a friend about the show, leave a review on iTunes, and definitely subscribe. And we have come into 2018. We are now on Instagram. So if you want to see the sweet new portable pizza oven I just bought, go to our Instagram page, Your Last Meal Podcast. I made a pizza pie. Actually, I made four. I ate four pizzas the other day and then wondered why I'm gaining weight. I saw the pictures pictures and the oven and was nothing but enraged that you didn't tell me you had this thing. Well, it was the inaugural. We had to figure out how to make the pizza first, and then we're going to have people over every week to eat pizza. Girl, I was a professional wood oven pizza chef. Do you not know this about me? No, I didn't know this about you. two years. Oh, your last meal where secrets are revealed. (laughs) This is so intimate. I'm Rachel Bell, and until next time... This is your last meal. This is this is how I prepare for on-air work.
Listen, I was in musical theater for like <laughs> 20 years, and I've never heard a warm-up like that. <laughs> I'm warming up. <gasps> I'm not letting my demons free. <laughs> Let the devil out, girl. All right, let's do it. <sighs>